Open your Bibles to chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. And let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to draw together as a family, that uh, you just give us so much love for each other, and it's just so amazingly obvious. So, Lord, we just pray that you'd continue to grow that love that we have for each other. And it's obvious to those um, outside the family that they would want to be part of the family. And so, Lord, we just lift this evening to you. We pray that you would speak to us um, through, by your word and through your Holy Spirit. And that we would know and understand the plan that you have better than ever before. So we love you. We praise you. We lift this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alrighty, tonight, Revelation chapter 13, and uh, just like normal, I, I really like to read the whole chapter in context, and then we break it up and look at it piece by piece by piece. So I know it, it, it seems long, but it's kind of cool to see it all together. John writes, and he says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And so they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 5, And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. All authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all of the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand, or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. 
So, in this chapter, we're going to read just about how evil the Great Tribulation will be. It will be a time of absolute rule, and Satan's going to have his way. It's what he's always wanted. It's the ultimate in false religion, and it's going to sweep over the entire earth. So it's pretty crazy stuff, right? But stay tuned, okay? Because we still have a few more chapters to go, right? All righty, so let's jump in. Revelation 13:1. he says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. In the last chapter, John's vision mainly had heaven in view. And now the scene of this vision shifts to the earth. And his vision, he stood on the sand of the sea. You know, I, I love the ocean. It's one of my favorite places to be. But as a whole, generally, Jewish people in biblical times, they regarded the sea as a wild, untamed, scary place. They weren't comfortable in it. it they, weren't, they didn't like it. And so because ancient Israel was wary of the sea, it, you know, it was a figure of evil and chaos and it seemed that the sea resisted God, even though this resistance was unsuccessful. We can read in the Psalms 89, 8 through 9, it says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. In Isaiah 57:20, he says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So you get this picture of the Jewish people where they were wary of the ocean and and it equated to a place where they weren't very, very comfortable with it at all. And so continuing in verse 1, John continues, he says, And I saw a beast. And the beast John sees here, we would call the Antichrist. And the word Antichrist only appears in the Bible five times in four verses. And we'll see it in 1 John and in 2 John. You know, too many people base their understandings of of the Antichrist by what they've seen in the movies. You know, how Hollywood portrays what's going on uh, with with, uh, that aspect of Scripture. And so, you know, it's always good to, to find out what does Scripture say about the Antichrist. We can begin by understanding what the title Antichrist means. And the prefix anti can mean the opposite of or instead of. The opposite of or instead of. And so the Antichrist is the opposite Jesus. Or he's the instead of Jesus. And so most people have focused on the idea that he's the opposite Jesus. That this has made them think that you know, the Antichrist will appear as supremely evil. And that as much as Jesus went around doing good, the Antichrist, he's going to do, go around doing bad. And as much as Jesus' character and personality was beautiful and attractive... Uh, as much as uh, the Antichrist's character is going to be ugly and repulsive, and as much as Jesus spoke only truth, the Antichrist will only speak lies. Now, this perspective really only emphasizes on the opposite Jesus. Too much. I believe that the Antichrist will be more of like a instead of Jesus, okay? a substitute. He will look wonderful and be charming and successful. He's going to be the ultimate winner, and he's going to appear as an angel of light. Scripture says so. In this sense, the Antichrist was going to, he's going to be a satanic messiah with a little m. Right? And so instead of the true messiah, Jesus Christ, he's going to be a substitute. Though we commonly call this world leader the Antichrist, the Bible has many names. And... Uh, We're going to look at those here. In Daniel 7 and 8, it's called the little horn of Daniel. He's called the king of fierce countenance of Daniel 8.23. 
He's called the prince that shall come in Daniel 9.26. He's called the willful king in Daniel 11. He's called the one who comes in his own name in John 5.43. And Israel's going to receive him as Messiah. He's called the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. And so we get a picture of who this Antichrist is. Now, John has written that there are many antichrists. And in 1 John 2.18, it says, Little children, it is in the last hour, and as you have heard, that the antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists, look at the difference, big A, little a, many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Here in Revelation 13, we're talking the capital A. We're talking the antichrist. Verse, well, the rest of verse 1, rising up out of the sea. So from the place identified from evil and chaos, that ocean that, 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 uh, that, that the Israelis just really didn't care for, uh, a beast comes forth. The ancient Greek word beast here is the idea of a wild, dangerous animal. And uh, because John calls him a beast and not a dragon, we know that it's distinct. We know that it's different from the dragon that we read about a couple of weeks ago. We know that it's very distinct from, from Satan, right, who is represented by the dragon. Definitely two different creatures. In biblical typography, the sea always refers to the Gentile nations. Okay? Us. We're Gentiles. As opposed to the land that refers to the nation Israel. Later in chapter 17, we're going to read about how the Antichrist will come from the ten Gentile nations that stem from a revived Roman Empire. And that's going to make up the last world empire. So we'll kind of get into that as we get closer to chapter 17. So here we meet this evil character who exercises satanic power as the world dictator. And he's coming from uh, a revived Roman Empire. So that's who's, that's who's coming. And it continues, having seven heads and ten horns. And so... Though this beast is distinct from the dragon of Revelation 12, he's still closely identified with him. Uh, he's not the dragon, but he's like the dragon. He's not the dragon, but he's like the dragon. Because the dragon also has seven heads and ten horns that we read about in Revelation 11. Um, there are only ten crowns on only seven heads, which is interesting because uh, according to Daniel 2 and 7, when the Antichrist comes to power, uh, he will initially grab the reins of three nations from the ten-nation confederation. So he'll, he'll tear those off. And so the figure of the ten horns also associates this beast with the beast of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 7, where it represents the world empire of the Antichrist, but ultimately the Messiah is going to conquer. Right? Daniel writes in in. 7, 7, he says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth, and it was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And then he goes on to say, And on his head, heads a blasphemous name. So the beast had a blasphemous name upon his head because he had rebellion in his heart. He had rebellion on his mind. He knows what he wants to do. And so the image of this seven-headed, ten-horned beast is meant to be hideous and monstrous. 
Because that is the nature of this beast. This is the devil incarnate. Verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. The beast is further described here as being comparable to a leopard with the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion receiving his power and authority from Satan. And it's interesting to note that the selection of these three animals was related to a similar revelation that was given to Daniel in chapters 2 and 7. And... uh, the sequence in, in Daniel 2 and 7, it's the world empires that are described by the lion, which refers to Babylon, and then the bear, which refers to the Medo Persian Empire, and then the leopard referring to the Alexandrian Empire. And this final empire gathers up all of these elements and characteristics for itself, and, and it becomes far more dreadful and more powerful than anything that's ever been in terms of the preceding empires. And so this final empire is going to have cat-like vigilance of a leopard and, and it's going to be slow and crushing power of a bear, but yet have the authority and ferociousness of a lion. It's going to have all of those all combined. It's really cool to think that as you read through those two passages, that although the same beasts are described in Daniel and in John, they're in different sequences. They're backwards. He's like, wow, why would that be? But it's really cool when you think about it. It's all perspective. Daniel was looking forward. John was looking backward. So that's just way cool. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Okay, This is a head wound, a mortal wound. You know how bad head wounds are. Head wounds bleed bad, and they do really bad things to your brain. Right? And so this would be a mortal wound, not a superficial injury. And the scripture says, And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So at this point in tribulation, all this is going down, and the Antichrist is mortally wounded. According to Zechariah 11.17, says there's going to be an assassination attempt on the Antichrist. And when that happens, he evidently causes his right eye to be poked out, and he loses the use of his right arm. Woe to the worthless shepherd, Zechariah writes, who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. So Zechariah is describing this is what's going to happen to this guy. But the recovery of the beast, it even increases his fame and authority. Twice later in the chapter, this recovery, this miraculous recovery, is mentioned in connection with the world's worship and devotion to this guy, to this beast. Uh, Some commentators see the beast not as a man, but as a government. They see it as that revived Roman Empire, and they they, they say, oh, it it fulfills Daniel 7. Um, I see it as the most natural way to understand John's words in Revelation, make us to believe that he speaks of a man speaks of a man that's mortally wounded, and then he speaks of a man that's miraculously healed. And so, when you think about it, this is truly an antichrist. He, he even imitates Jesus in his death and his resurrection. He wants to be a substitute. The world's going to believe this, and it's going to add tremendously to his fame and power. Verse 4 says, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? 
And so as people worship the beast and they bow down before his government, it may be that they really don't know that they're bowing down before Satan himself, but it's worship of Satan nonetheless. It's definitely. They clearly worship both the beast and the dragon, but their worship of the dragon may be unknowing. And though Satan worship becomes more and more popular culturally uh, each year, it's still only a tiny fraction of people who truly open, openly worship Satan. But you know what? I think it's because more people expect Satan to appear with ugliness and horror. Or opposite that, they expect him to be all cute with a little red cape, horns, and a tail, and a pitchfork, right? And he's none of those things. What do we know about Satan? We read in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, 14 through 15, he says, For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So think about it. At this point, this popular, powerful figure, he captures the affection and imagination of the entire world with his political skills, his peacemaking abilities. So with everything that he's accomplished, here's this great leader who's done amazing things politically. He's solving world issues left and right. He's negotiating peace between war and nations who have always been at, at war. And to top it off, he comes back to life after being assassinated. Right? So I can truly understand why these folks who you know, have, have since put Jesus away, that why they would give Satan what he's desired ever since he was cast out of heaven. They worship him. Okay? But they are thoroughly deceived. Verse 5, And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. So the Antichrist is going to be able to tell the world that he is of deity. I can just picture it. He goes, he'll be everywhere. You know, he'll have a Facebook page. You know, you can friend him if you want. Um, he, you know, have a tweet account. He'll send pictures out on Instagram. He'll be on talk radio. He'll be on TV. He'll be everywhere. He's going to be able to speak great things and blasphemies. And he's going to be seen and heard everywhere. Verse 5, he says, And then was given authority to continue for 42 months. Now, 42 months, that should ring a bell. Because we've been, we've been hearing that little time frame a lot recently. We've seen it as three and a half years. We've seen it as 1,260 days. We've seen it as a time, times, and half a time. All of these phrases are equivalent to the last half of the Great Tribulation, three and a half years. And so now begins the last half of the Antichrist seven-year reign. Verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. This means that he speaks against God. He speaks against his name. He speaks against his church. He even speaks against those who were taken in the rapture. He's ticked off at all of us, right? And he's going he's gonna, to gonna try to take it out. And so uh, uh, he, he, he just, he, he's just opening his mouth and blasphemy against God. Verse 7, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. A couple of weeks ago, we talked in Revelation 12, and it described the satanic persecution during the tribulation period. And that's why the Israelis needed to run to the mountains. And remember, they ran to Petra, that amazing city that's cut out of rock. And so that's why they needed to get away, because the main instrument of the persecution here, it's revealed. It's the government of the beast 
who's going to persecute and kill all those who will not bow down and worship uh, to the beast. Basically, the government becomes his Gestapo. Verse 8, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So this final world dictator will demand and receive worship from the whole earth, but those who worship him will pay the price. They are those whose names have not been written in the book of life. And you know, you you think about it, it's like, how will all the people on the earth worship him? And and I don't know exactly how it will work, but you know, in, in, it'll probably happen kind of the, after the pattern of the worship demanded by the, by the Roman emperors in the early days of the church. Okay? The Christians were told they needed to worship Caesar. Early times in the church, all the residents in the whole empire were required to take a, a pinch of incense and before a statue of Caesar and say, Caesar's Lord. And the Romans saw it just as a, as a, as a way of showing political allegiance but the Christians, they saw it as an act of religious worship. And they said, oh, no, we're good. No, thanks. Okay? But when Christians refused, refused to do this, they were in big, fat trouble because of it. Uh, the, the Roman Empire didn't care for people to say no to Caesar. But you know what? After the great, terrible, totalitarian rulers of the 20th century like Lenin and Stalin and Hitler, you know, it's not hard to imagine a dominating world leader demanding such a declaration of allegiance that would then lead to worship. It's, it's, it's imaginable. That's the scary part. But those who did would not be found in the Lamb's book of life. You know, when we read the text that says, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, we read an amazing title for Jesus. It reminds us that, that God's plan of redemption was set in place long before he even created the beings who were going to be redeemed. This was all part of God's plan. God wasn't surprised by the fall of Adam. He wasn't surprised by any of the other evidence of the fallen nature of man. God isn't making this up as he goes along. It's all going according to his plan. If we look back in Scripture, we know that God the Son had a relationship of love and fellowship with God the Father before the foundation of the world. In John 17:24, we know that the work of Jesus was ordained before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1:20. We know that God chose his redeemed before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1:4. We know that the names are written in the book of life before the foundations of the world. Revelation 17:8. We know that the kingdom of heaven was prepared for the redeemed before the foundation of the world. Get the picture? Before the foundation, God knew. God made a plan, and this is all part of his plan. And it's all going according to plan, so we don't have to worry. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. So this invitation, if anyone has an ear, let him hear, is like putting scripture in neon. It's like pay attention to this, pay close attention to this. And, And we've heard this before. Jesus said the same thing when he was teaching the parables in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Jesus used this when he wanted to point it out as being very, very important. We also read something back in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 that said, uh, you know, Jesus used the exhortation, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's, it's like one of those pointing it out. This guy's a laser pointer. Keep an eye on this, right? 
Notice that the exhortation here in chapter 13 is not addressed to the churches. It's even wider. Who's it to? Anyone. It's, it's, it's written to anyone who would listen. Why wouldn't the message be addressed to the church? Well, guess what? The church isn't here. We're already in heaven. We've been in heaven since chapter 4. Remember that. All right? Verse 10, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity, and he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Here John is reminding those that are going through this tribulation, that are putting up with all kinds of hassles. They're they're getting thrown in prison. They're getting persecuted. He's reminding them that the people who are doing this, they're going down. I've got you. Just be patient and trust God. It's all going according to his plan. You know, taken as a whole, the first ten verses of Revelation 13, it predicts a future world government, which from God's point of view would really just be a continuation of the ancient Roman Empire. Remember, he sees the whole picture. And this government would be empowered by Satan. And his primary objective will be to force the entire world to worship him and his human representative, the, uh, the world dictator. And so that's what we see in the first ten verses. Now we get somebody else showing up on the scene. Um, before we go there, just remember that the purpose of Satan is to take the place of God in this future great tribulation. And this is his motivating power. This is his motivating reason this be behind the activities that we, Satan, that we see Satan doing today. It was Satan's desire to be like God that originally plunged him into the universe, into sin. And we read about that uh, a few weeks ago. And you know what? His program has never changed. His plan has never changed. He's seeking today, as throughout his whole career, to lure men to obey him instead of God. And in this great tribulation, the purpose is going to be really clear, but then it's going to come under divine judgment. All righty? Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This second creature represents someone like the beast, someone like the beast rising from the sea because the same word beast is used to describe them both. But at the same time, this beast is different. Uh, They are different in origin. One comes out of the sea, the other out of the earth. They are different in rank. Uh, The second is subordinate to the first. We read in Uh, a couple verses that the second beast causes the earth to worship the first. Uh, They are different in appearance because the second has a mild lamb-like appearance. Scripture says here that he has two horns like a lamb. Now, some commentators, they think the two horns may mean that this beast has authority in two realms, uh, religious and political. Or, I think pretty simply, maybe he just had two horns because... That's how many horns a sheep has. So despite his lamb-like appearance, the message of this second beast is the same message as the first. It's not nice. The second beast is called the false prophet. And we'll see this title in Revelation 16, 19, and 20. And he's someone definitely distinct from the first beast, the Antichrist, and he's definitely distinct from the dragon, Satan. So when you think about it, including the dragon the beast rising from the sea, the beast rising from the land, we have an unholy trinity. The dragon is the anti-father, the beast 
rising from the sea is the Antichrist, and the beast rising from the land is the anti-Holy Spirit. So we see an anti-Trinity. All he can do is copy God. Satan wants to be like God. You see, Satan, he he wants to be the instead of Jesus. In verse 12, it says, He exercises all the authority of the first beast in in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So the beast rising from the earth is essentially a satanic prophet. He leads the world to worship the beast and the dragon. But this second beast is different from the first in that it has a mild lamb-like appearance, uh, which the other did not. But it speaks like a dragon. So even it looks like a lamb, it speaks like a dragon. Its words uh, carry its real character. They're fierce and they're unrelenting. And while it professes to be gentle, the actions don't match the words. You know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to put the focus on Jesus. That's what he does for us. The ministry of the false prophet is to put the focus on Antichrist. So the parallel is exact. Verse 13, it says, the beast, oh, I'm sorry. Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And so the beast rising from the sea has the ability to do signs and wonders to back up his false teaching. Uh, A specific miracle of the false prophet is described. It says he makes fire come down from, from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And it's important that John highlights this miracle because think about what was happening before. Remember, in the eyes of the deceived world, the answer is the miracle of the two witnesses. Remember, they could do that. And uh, we saw that back in Revelation 11. And so to the, to the deceived world, this also puts this false prophet in the class of Elijah, 1 Kings 18. We can imagine this false prophet is saying, let the true God answer with fire, and then he does this deceptive miracle. Right? And so he, once again, he, he wants to be the instead of Jesus. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. You know, none of this should be a surprise to us. Paul said that the Antichrist would come with all power signs and lying wonders. He said that in 2 Corinthians 2.9. Uh, Jesus said that in the end times, false prophets would emerge and show great signs and wonders uh, to deceive and, and so one of the signs here uh, and, and wonders we read is that there is an image made to the beast, but it's not just any image. Verse 15, it says, He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Okay? So the image of the beast is, is animated somehow. It's, it's, it's made so that it can breathe. It's made so that it can speak. I bet you it looks just like a person. It just, it, 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 it's an image, but um, it, it, it's, it's, it will be amazing. But the scary part is, is that the technology for this type of animation is already here. Okay? You can go to Vegas if you want to. And, uh, and you can see Elvis singing with Celine Dion. Okay? You can. All right? All right? You can see a Beatles reunion playing together. You can see Michael Jackson 
moonwalking across the stage. All right? But you know that they're not really there. These are holographic uh, images. And uh, they're not really there, but they look and sound like they are. What's really interesting, and it's kind of scary, but it's kind of funny at the same time. There's this Japanese singing sensation called Hatsune Miku. And she started singing in 2007. And her voice has been featured in over 100,000 songs. Okay? The problem is, she's not a person. The problem is, she's a hologram. The problem is, his, her voice is a synthesizer. In other words, there's nothing human about her. And yet, in 2009, she made the leap to the stage and she performs concerts as 3D technology. People pay, I mean, by the droves to go see this 3D holographic image sing with a voice that's not really a voice. It's a computer. Okay? So that's the amazing part is that, you know, the, the, the technology for all of this is already in place. You know, the, the psalmist mocked idol worshipers, says, because the idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. But you know what? This image of the Antichrist will be different. It'll be a different kind of idol. Because this image of the beast is going to be able to speak and listen, to cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This image has power. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You know, as you read that, it it shouldn't surprise us that Satan continues to try to counterfeit God. Right? Have you ever heard the command, the prayer called the Shema? It's in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. And it was given to the nation of Israel. And the Shema, it's a central prayer to the Jewish prayer book. And and it's usually the first prayer that a Jewish child will learn. During its recitation in the synagogue, Orthodox Jews will pronounce each word very carefully and cover their eyes with their right hand. Many recite the Shema at least twice a day. And uh, once in the morning and once in the evening. I'm sure you recognize it. Uh, It goes like this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now listen, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. It's like Satan is copying everything. He wants to make it his own. I'm reminded of Pharaoh's magicians who could do nothing more than mimic the miracles that God did through Moses. Because God's the only creator and and Satan is left to do no more than copy him. You know, the technology to give people a mark that enables them to buy and sell is already available. And uh, there are many different ways that, that this could happen, and, and you can read all about it. And, 
But, but you know what? I, I, I don't want us to get distracted. In verse 18 it says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. It says that this false prophet will mark, will use this mark as a means for forcing people to worship the Antichrist. He's going to demand that everyone have this mark on their foreheads or on their hands in order to buy or sell. You know, it'd be really scary to, um, to imagine the pressures of having to possess that mark in order to secure, you know, food for your family, to support, to support your kids. Um, there are many views on what that 666 stands for, but nowhere in Scripture is, is it given what it means exactly. And so there is just so much insights and, 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 and thinking of, of what that means. And, and, you know, it was a common concept in the ancient world that in both Greek and Hebrew as, uh, as well, letters were assigned a numerical value. And so, you know, A equals 1, B equals 2, and so forth. And so, uh, you know, when you think about it, does doing this tell us who the beast is? You know, can we figure out the numerical value of a name? And, you know, commentators through, the, through, the, uh, through history have come up with candidates that they suggest as, as the Antichrist. And, you know, from the Pope to John Knox to Martin Luther to Napoleon to Hitler to Mussolini to Stalin, all of these, you know, they, people would figure out a way that, oh, that's 666, right? Um, but the schemes for unlocking the number are as confusing as they are endless. That's why Scripture says, here is wisdom, okay? In other words, I don't think it's going to be simple, but I think that will be obvious to the end. Um, some think that the Antichrist name, the first, middle, and last, will each contain six letters. Well, that's easy. I remember when Ronald Wilson Reagan was a candidate for the Antichrist. Um, but you know what? My challenge to you tonight is to, instead of obsessing with fear and interest about the imitation, the Antichrist, is that I think it would be much more appropriate for us to be more interested in getting to know the original even better. So my challenge for you tonight is to fall deeper in love with Jesus. And don't get tied up into who's what and who's where. Because remember, chapter 4, we're out of here. And so, yes, it's good to understand what's going on, but don't get wrapped up into that. So, again, my challenge for you is to fall deeper in love with Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for this evening. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your word. Thanks, Father, that uh, we're not here and that we're going to be with you. And so, Lord, we look forward to that time. We ask, Father, that as, as time is moving through, God, that you would uh, just raise in our hearts an awareness of the end times and that we would be sharing with those that don't know you who will be spending this tribulation time on earth that we would be able to explain how much you love them and what you've done for them. So Lord, we just ask you for your blessing. We ask for continued guidance as we uh, are moving through the process of selecting a senior pastor. We, we pray for that person right now, whoever that person is, God, that you would be preparing them for such a time as this, is for this body. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, we just ask and pray and plead with you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.